been for you uh, on the uh, on the West Coast? You know, things are good here. We're really lucky in BC. Like we're on like we've been on phase three for like a month or something like that. So it's been it's been nice. We've been getting to go back to the gym and, and everything. So we're uh, we, we got it pretty good here. Bonnie Henry, kudos to her. She's doing a great job uh, for the province, uh, keeping everyone in line and making sure they're wearing their masks and keeping the six feet. So it's been good. Canada or uh, on the East Coast, it's weird. Like we've got the Atlantic bubble, so we can like travel between New Brunswick and PEI. But if we leave there, we have to like quarantine for 14 days. So it's just been it's been really weird. Um, gyms are open, but like MMA gyms aren't. Like it's just regular gyms. It's it's awful, man. I just I can't wait to get back in there. <laughs> I bet. That's, yeah. That's part of the reason why I started this whole uh, quarantine cast was I was bored out of my mind. Uh, my girlfriend was living at her family's place. We weren't allowed to see each other. Uh, my brother was living with his girlfriend. So I had the place to myself for a month. And I was like, what do I do? Uh, obviously, MMA is something I'm super passionate about. Reached out and just got it started. Yeah, uh, it's been cool. I was telling you off air, by the way, just before I answer your first question, like, I, I like what you're doing. I think it's been good to see some different content out there. I always tell people there's always room for someone in this industry, you know, so I think it's yeah. cool that you've been getting a variety of different guests on. So I've been I've been watching it. It's been uh, it's been cool to watch. Yeah, I appreciate it. I try, I try my best. I have like uh, journalists come on. Uh, I have Derek Clark, who owns FLA. Um, so I try not to just have the fighters on there and try to get a variety. Uh, also had a guy from Brazil and had his coach translating, which was kind of cool. What got you into the sport? Uh, That's like, you know, it's... Yeah, you know, everyone asked me. It's kind of... um, So so I'll kind of give you the... You know, it's it's a very Canadian answer, but but I'll sort of stick with this. So I I always wanted to be a hockey broadcaster. That was always the goal. Um, I used to, you know, growing up in Vancouver, big Canucks fan, used to watch... I mean, I still watch hockey as much as I watch MMA. So it's... uh, That that was the goal. And then I, I was going to university in Ottawa... And uh, I remember just like, I remember this so vividly. This is exactly how I got in MMA. I was just flipping through the channels and I remember seeing this guy, like reality TV was like in its like peak, you know, like it's still obviously a big part of television. But uh, I remember I saw this guy like break down this door and all this stuff was happening. He was exactly. the ultimate fighter. It was season one, right? So Rampage, it was Chris Lehman yes. knocking, down the, knocking down the door. Oh, I remember being like, what is this show? This is incredible. So I started watching and I really like took to the cast. I thought it was really cool. They did a good job that season of like really having people that people could be relatable to or like people that you like were interested. Like I remember with Chris Lehman, it was like, okay, this guy's like an alcoholic he's had a tough upbringing like i found that interesting and then i started watching the fights and i was like this is really cool and go back even further than that like growing up like during like maybe my like teen years like not long maybe like two three years i was a big pro wrestling fan like huge fan during the attitude era and so that sort of came back to me because i did like that competition of it and it and like i said they did such a good job in that season of like building up characters that it kind of reminded me of like pro wrestling so from there i got hooked um i ended up uh you know watching pride and watching all the other you know great promotions that were out there and it was just like i remember back then when MMA was like, like during that time, this was like 2004, 2005, uh, MMA was kind of like a secret. Like it was like this cool secret that like everyone knew about. And I remember I'd get my friends to watch and I have some like that would tune in for some cards, but I was watching like every single one. And then fast forward to like me finishing up like school, um, I ended up getting an internship um, in Toronto for uh, like, like working at a television network. And then ended up leaving that and going to intern at Fight Network which happened to be in Toronto because I ended up moving there. And that's when I was like fully immersed in MMA and it was perfect. I was like started off as like a video editor 
And when I was there, like Mauro Ronaldo worked there, John Pollock worked there, like all these like OGs. And like, it was just so cool to be a part of that at the time. And so I worked there for about like three, four years to the point of where like, by the end, before I left, um, I was doing like, you know, like voicing highlights. I was doing a bit of reporting. Like I really had moved my way up uh, with, with the company. So it sort of went hand in hand, like me watching the Ultimate Fighter, like back then you were called a tough noob. Remember that? That was what I was back in the day. And then, uh, yeah, just, I've been interested in it ever since. And I, I sort of pivoted. I kind of forgot to mention that part. Like I pivoted from doing hockey to doing MMA because I was like, this is something I'm really passionate about. I think I can do a decent job of it. And like, there aren't that many people covering it. Like back then, this was before like Ariel Hawani was big. This was like when Josh Gross and TJ DeSantis did their, you know, show the beatdown on the shirt dog. That was my like number one source. I used to check out, I used to listen to their podcast all the time. So that's where like, I felt like I could, I could carve my way in there. And yeah, so that's, that's where it started uh, sort of speak. Yeah, very similar to me. I mean, the second you said breaking down a door, I was like, Rampage. That's what got me into it when Rampage tore down the door. But it's funny how we both got hooked on it on the exact same moment, just different fighters doing the same thing, different seasons. I'm only 25. So it like, but the second that happened, I've watched, I haven't missed a card. It doesn't matter if I'm on vacation, I'll find a way to stream it. Uh, I got hooked on it. And uh, I started with, with hockey as well. Leafs fan here, but uh that's yeah, fine. Grew up a Leafs fan, actually. Like I was a big Wendell Clark fan back in the day, so I'm I'm obviously older than you are. But uh, but yeah, it's like Leaf and Canucks. I'm a rare breed because like Canucks fans hate Leafs fans and vice versa. So I'm kind of like a weird hybrid. But Canucks are number one. Leafs are like like two. You know. So for me, it's for me, it's Leafs and then any other team that aren't the Bruins and the Habs. So. <laughs> we can agree on the Bruins. I hate the Bruins. So there you go. We can. Yeah, uh, we're already off to a good start here. Uh, yeah, I can't stand them. Obviously, you can't since that uh, that final. Twenty eleven, man. Sticks out like a sore thumb. What's his name's dad, who was in the, the doing the commissioner? Uh, what's his name? Campbell, Colin Campbell, right? Because his son played on the Bruins. It was such a buy. And then Rome did that hit, like that totally ruined the series. Like that changed. That literally woke up the bear, pun intended. Uh, when when Rome hit uh, Horton, and then they did the same thing to Mason Raymond, and it just was never the same. Like it was just yeah, they 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 owned the series after that. So I'm still bitter about it all these years later. Yeah, I mean, I would be too. Um, it's this season's going to be interesting the way that they're doing it, the new format. You guys have Plain. the wild, which I we think do, exactly. and that's a tough matchup. Like I know people are like, "Oh, it's the wild," but like you know, they had a lot of momentum because when they switched coaches, they really were on a roll. Um, but yeah, if the Canucks are like, if Markstrom's healthy, I think we'll we'll get through it. But it's tough, man. You, you never know. I see uh, today they just announced that Michael Furlan's not going to play, which like leave that guy out of the lineup completely. Like he's got concussion issues. Let him take the year off. No need to put him in there now. Like this is a plan. Like it's not a big deal. Like whoever wins the cup, no matter what, people are going to say, well, it was, it was a shortened season. It's not the same thing. Right. So why even like go for it this year? Just like do do the best you can. Don't risk future assets and just just go with it. That, that's my philosophy. As a Leafs fan, it's it's nice because we're not playing the Blue Bruins, so it's like right. we finally have a chance. So it's like yes. finally a new face. Uh, I don't think we're gonna get it done, but uh, you know I've lost hope a long time ago. Uh, I haven't seen Leafs success since I was like eight. So so well back in the ninety, like people forget this. I want to give the Leafs some credit here because like I feel like people are very like oh they haven't won a cup since '67. There was a period. During the 90s, were like they were the best Canadian team by far. They would make the playoffs every year, and they they would always have like an outstanding goalie. Like I remember, first it was like Curtis Joseph. He was like the yeah. guy they got from Edmonton, and it was like this huge thing. And he would always like they they always have like terrible defense and like good forwards and like good goaltending, and they relied on that. And then after Curtis Joseph left, it was Ed Belfour, and then mm -hmm. they managed to do that. And then the lockout happened, and then they got like you know right. loose parts for a couple of years. And John Ferguson Jr. is their GM, and yeah, it was it was a couple of rough years there. I remember that. I remember why. I remember Jason Allison played for them. Remember that? Super yeah, it was, 
we had some we had some rough times there. We had Gustafson and Nets and Andrew Raycroft. It was it was not worst good. trade ever. Worst like that trade, man. Justin Pogge is going to be your future over Tuka Rask. What are you thinking? Like it's crazy. It's crazy to look back at that now. It's pretty. And Vesatoskala, remember him? Yep, Vesatoskala. Yeah, I mean it's it's weird looking back at those trades because you're like, man, if we didn't do it, another trade that stands out in MMA though is the Ben Askren trade. Yes, you know it's the only time it's ever happened. It, it's crazy to think that Ben Askren, uh, you know, ended up, you know, failing essentially in the UFC, and then arguably the greatest of all time has gone to one. What I like about MMA right now is that all these other organizations are really growing, and it's given the UFC some competition. And as someone um, that's watched UFC for a long time, I'm sure it's really nice to see that develop uh, the way it is and have some competition. Yeah, I agree. I, and I'm always going to advocate for more promotions, better pay, all that stuff like PFL. Like I was skeptical at the beginning, but look, if they're they're able to you know pay the million dollars to the winners, all the power to them. I think it's great for a guy like Rory McDonald, who gave his life to this sport, gave us one of the best fights of all time against Robbie Lawler, and he wants to go get a million bucks. Absolutely. Go get it, buddy. Go get it. You're in the welterweight division. Go take advantage of that. So I think um, all this stuff is good. Bellator. I mean, I know stuff now is a little bit weird. We don't really know what's going to happen with, with some of these promotions. Like PFL basically just said, hey, we're going to look at next year. And now like Bellator and one and all these other promotions are starting to do shows. But I'm with you. It, like I never get the fan who's like, well, he's in Bellator. He sucks. It's like, what does it like? Don't you want to see these guys get paid more so they can perform better? I've never understood that. And I know part of it's like they wish they could fight. And so there's that sort of insecure like jealousy. But like I always hated that. It was annoying. It is frustrating, especially like you think of guys like people said the same thing about Strikeforce and then Eddie Alvarez came in, you mm-hmm. know, and won the title. You look at Jose Aldo. He's from WEC. He's arguably one of the greatest of all time. Um, so there's a lot of guys coming from other organizations that have been extremely successful. So it's not to say that the best are just in the UFC. Um, so I, I hate that as well. Like guys from PFL, they could be amazing. Yeah, uh, it may not be. <laughs> you never know until they compete well, against. Look at Justin Gaethje. He was a World Series of Fighting guy before. Yep. I don't think he ever fought under the PFL banner. Marlon Moraes. Like, there's a yep. lot of good fighters out there. It's just a matter of you know the right circumstances and getting the right opportunity. And we've seen that you know time and time again where guys have risen to the occasion that maybe you didn't think. Like, look at even someone like Robbie Lawler. Like, he was in the UFC. Still one of my favorite fights of all time, by the way. Him and Nick Diaz. That's like a fight that does not get talked about enough because if you watch that fight, the commentary was so biased towards Robbie Lawler because he was considered like the future this is back like years ago like people would be amazed if they watched this fight and this was always when they would name drop the Militich camp always if you watch those like cards like in like the 2000s and whatever like it was always like oh they're at the Militich camp they're gonna be good in this fight so the whole narrative of that fight was that Nick Diaz is choosing to stand what a mistake this is Rogan's like I can't believe he's doing this he's a jiu-jitsu guy and what happens he knocks out Robbie Lawler like it was a crazy win and of course Lawler ended up losing leaving the UFC a lot of people thought he was done. I remember when he fought at middleweight and all these things. And then what does he do? He comes back. He wins the UFC title. Like, that's why MMA is awesome because that, that type of stuff can happen. That's what I was getting at, by the way, was Lawler coming back. You're talking about other fighters from other organizations. He came back, ended up winning a title. There's another good example. Yeah, and a great example of a guy who's really fought through a lot of adversity. People have counted out his entire career. Robbie Lawler is a great example of that. I think a lot of people would never expect Robbie Lawler to win a title, let alone be one of the greatest welterweights of all time, uh, in my opinion. Another fighter who really like overcame a lot of adversity and Jorge Masvidal. Like, who would have guessed two years ago he'd be fighting for a title and he'd be holding the BMF belt and all this other stuff going with him? He'd be one of the biggest draws in the UFC. Crazy fight this weekend, six days notice. What's your thoughts on Jorge Masvidal doing that? 
one of the most incredible turnarounds I've ever seen in UFC history. Like, like you know, we just talked about Lawler. Like, Lawler won the title, and that that will go down as you know one of the greatest runs in history as far as a comeback goes. But I don't know if we'll ever in our lifetime see someone that was on a losing streak like Masvidal was and, and get to that superstar level. Like we like like last year, The Rock, Donald Trump, all these people are coming to watch him fight at UFC 244. They made up a belt for him just to fight Nate Diaz. Like. That's unheard of. I don't think we'll ever see that again in our lifetime of someone who's, you know, a, a veteran fighter to turn it around like that. And really just it was it was just every piece fit that whole run last year with him beating Till in a fight where, you know, Till had knocked him down in that fight. Right. He ended up finishing him and then fighting Askren where you think, OK, this is the fight where the wrestling is going to get exposed. And then he gets one of the best knockouts in UFC history like that. And the McGregor Aldo knockout have to be like the top two of all time in MMA. I mean, that was incredible. And then he fights Diaz, which was just smart, you know, um, matchmaking from from. From his end because like, you're fighting a guy that you know is not going to take you down he's not going to try and submit you he's going to stand and trade and you you're a lot fresher than he is you had two other fights this year diaz only had one fight like it's it's so important like to have that momentum so um yeah to, to get back to the fight though like i just think it was um it, it was just it made the pay-per-view that much more interesting like the fight itself i think was more of a mismatch than it was with burns and usman where i mean that's not a mismatch it's a very close fight but it just it just added that little bit of extra intrigue to the card that I think it needed, and we saw the numbers come out today. I think it was 1.2 million buys. I mean, doesn't surprise me. The Masvidal effect is a real thing. Go look at his YouTube post-fight press conference. Two million views. That doesn't happen every fighter on the roster. Yeah, he's really just become like this overnight sensation, um, and it's crazy because I think his stock rose losing and are getting dominated essentially by Usman. Like. He got dominated, yet his stock rose, in my opinion. Like, it, it's unheard of. Uh, I think he's unbelievable what he's done for the sport. And I think his him advocating for fighter pay, I think, is, is huge. Um, another issue we're finding, uh, not just with pay, is, man, the, the judging. Again, it really is absolute shit. It, dominate, it destroyed two fights. I thought Elizio Zaleski won that fight, clearly. And it really derails his shot at the top 15. And then obviously Max Holloway. Uh, how disappointing. See, I disagree that? with you. Okay, so I, you said two fights. So I thought you were going to be on my side here for a second. Because I actually, because <laughs> I'll, I'll get into this in a second. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm being a bad guest here. I apologize. But um, no, the, 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 the Salikov and Zaleski fight, yes. And then there was the flyweight fight too between Paiva and the other guy. The, yeah. um, th so, that was a bad call too. Yeah. The Holloway fight, see, I'm torn on this one, okay? Because I, okay, I did score for Volkanovski. I'll just, I'll mention that right off the yeah. bat. But I don't think it was terrible because it was just it, like a lot of people use the R word and a lot of people are big Max Holloway fans and I get that. But to me, it's the third round that decided that fight. And I, I would have no issue if you said 48-47 Max Holloway. No issue with that. Just like I don't have any issue saying 48-47 Volkanovski. Because what it came down to is this. I think if we're everyone watching this, let's. I'm curious to get your comments. Max won one and two, no doubt. No yeah. argument there. I think I, I had saw some people say that they thought Max won the fourth. Don't really agree with that. I think Volkanovski clearly won four and five, especially fifth. I mean, that was a really good round for Volkanovski. Yeah. The third round is where we got to look at look at things, and that was the closest round of the fight. And the thing is, if you would have given that to either guy, that decides the fight. I think that's pretty – like so when people say robbery – I'm not saying you said that, by the way. I'm just saying because you were talking about the judging. I – to me, a robbery is like Diego Sanchez, Ross Pearson, where like Diego yeah. Sanchez, I don't think won a single round of that fight. And Ross Pearson did not get his hand raised. That's a robbery. But in a fight like this, where I think even the biggest Max Holloway fan knows that Volkanovski at least won a round, give him that. If we're going the bare minimum, give him one round. That fifth round, there's no way you could score that for Holloway. 
if, if, if you have a fight that's that close, it's a close fight. It's not a robbery. The third round, like I said, decided things. I thought Volkanovski did enough to do it because he, he had the combination and then he had the counter uh, left, I think, in that one. And he also blocked a couple kicks. He also tried for a takedown. Holloway did do some stuff in that round as well. But I think if, if you look at UFC stats, I think Volkanovski actually had more significant stats in the, and uh, strikes in that round. So I don't think that's a robbery. But you're But getting back to the original thing, which I totally went off on a tangent on, the judging was bad. I mean, those two fights in the undercard, absolute robberies, no issue saying that whatsoever. But the Volkanovski-Holloway uh, fight, it was a close fight. There's a difference. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's, it's, it was very, very close. Um, I'm a Volkanovski fan, also a Holloway fan. I'm torn, and I wanted Holloway to win because I'd like to see the third fight. And I just yeah. think it really puts Holloway in a rough spot now. Like, you lost twice to a champion. First, you know, the second one was very controversial. I think a lot of people had it for Holloway. A lot of people, or some people had it for Volkanovski. So, like you said, not a robbery, but very close. And the, the shitty part is, where does that leave Holloway? Um, you know, and I, it just sucks because I think he's the only guy that really could potentially take that title from him. So, I think that it, it really depends on what the UFC wants to do here. I mean, they they did the rematch, so it seems like they kind of want to see Holloway get back in that thing. So, I, I'm not totally ruling out a trilogy fight because the first fight, clearly Volkanovski won. Like, I don't think anyone debated that other than Max, who felt he won. I think most people watching that, I happened, I was lucky enough, I was actually live there for that one. I mean, Volkanovski won. He had, he had every answer for Max yeah. Holloway. Max Holloway was a different fighter on Saturday than he was in that fight, too. Um, but, uh, but yeah, th like if you would have told me that Volkanovski was going to win again this weekend, then I said, yeah, Max, go to, go to lightweight. That's, that's the move. There's bigger fights up there. You've done enough at 45. You're not going to fight for a title again soon. But because this fight was close, I'm kind of open to them. Like, like if they want to give Holloway another contender, like a Yair Rodriguez or maybe a Zabit or, um, you know, Korean zombie, like, I don't know who's going to fight next. Maybe you give him one of those and then do the trilogy fight. I wouldn't be that upset by that. Yeah. But part of me, too, is like, you know, how much longer is he going to make 45? Because that is a tough cut for him, right? So um, I, it's really going to depend on what the UFC wants to do. If they feel fine with the decision and they're like, whatever, then, yeah, it's probably time for Holloway to go to 155. But if they feel like Max deserves that rematch or the trilogy fight, I should say, then I'm fine with that. That's where I stand on it. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see it the third time because it was so controversial. I think it's a hard sell uh, mm -hmm. when a guy loses twice the same guy. It's like DC Jones at this point. It's like... Or, or uh, how about uh, Frankie Edgar and, and Benson Henderson? There's a good example, yeah. right? Like, I think the second fight, Edgar should have won that, and then they gave it to Bendo, and then he ended up, uh, what, I think, Ed, was that when Edgar went to 45, I think, or maybe at a Yeah, fight he, dropped that, he dropped down yeah. and fought Aldo and lost there. Yeah. Uh, and then fought Aldo twice and lost again. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Um, those posters behind you, are those all the events you went to or is uh, that just... So yeah, a lot of people ask me about this. So I, I collect, uh, I, when I, when I was in college and stuff, I used to grab posters. Like I'd go to a bar and watch the fights and then at the end of the night, they just like throw out the posters. Like, hold on a second here. I want to, I want to take one of these. So there's a few you can't see here that are to my, to my side here, but, uh, these newer ones I actually purchased, you can buy them online. Uh, there's different ways of buying them. Like there's uh, different, like I know Amazon sells some, there's UFC store sells some. So it's just a variety of different ones, but I wanted to get some recent ones because when I first made this i had like the ufc 83 poster and i had like um you know a few of the other ones that uh, that you don't see here um that i've moved over to my other side of my office but uh but yeah so some of them are bought just to keep them a little bit recent and then some are just like like i sort of based it on um like cool looking posters like i always think this aldo and mcgregor poster looks so cool like the way they did that that was like a cooler looking poster um and then some of them like i love this one when they did the cartoons um like the comic book characters for for pettis and uh and melendez and stuff so that's i it's kind of a mix of everything just ones that i thought look good and then good events too like the toronto one 
had to include that biggest, you know, one I think I guess second biggest event ever uh, in terms of attendance. So yeah, had to do that one. Yeah, I mean, these are mine. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Uh, I really need an MMA setup. I just that's like I just this. It's tough. This coach yeah. seemed to work, and I just threw it together here. But I really need a poster and start need to start making something happen. I, I like it. It's a great setup. I figured it was just the events you went to, but it looks amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I love it. I and I'll, I'm going to try and switch them up, you know, soon a little bit too. Don't want to keep everyone, you know, that same boring background. Try and switch things up a little bit. So we'll see. Um, us both being Canadians, I have to ask your thoughts on George St. Pierre being in, inducted in the UFC Hall of Fame. I was surprised he wasn't already in there. Yeah, one of the best ever. There'll never be another GSP. Like here's the here's the here's where GSP and like McGregor separate themselves from so many other people is that they represent like an area of the world, right? Like it's yeah. not like John like you don't have that same connection to like a John Jones because he's from the States, right? But George not only represented Canada, but French Canadians as well. Like I don't know if we'll ever see a fighter that can get to that level. And it was just such perfect timing too, because at the time he was rising up, they were doing events in Canada. They like Canada was like a hotbed for them. They would come all the time and it was a big deal on that UFC one twenty nine card I mentioned. I mean, they filled up the skydome or Rogerson or whatever you want to call it like that that that's just like unheard of right they couldn't do that now in in Canada unless they had like a McGregor fight but they would never do it there it's just not a big market for them at this point but um but yeah just so well deserved and just such a good ambassador for the sport and GSP had his place and it's funny because like I see a lot of people this weekend being like well how come GSP wasn't criticized like Usman was well it's it's a lot different like I said GSP represented more than just himself as a fighter he represented a nation he was a really polite guy. He was a little bit more outgoing than Usman. And, you know, people want to talk about his fight style. How many wrestlers does GSP have to fight? Tons. Like, Usman didn't really have that. I mean, he fought a guy in Moscow who's a striker. So there, it's kind of different situations in terms of, like, how people were criticized. But I definitely remember people calling GSP boring. So, I mean, it's they, they both had their fair share of criticism. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought of, like, because at that time it was John Jones, Anderson Silva, GSP. And I thought of the three... He was the most boring, but I, like you said, I mean, he represented an entire nation at that time. The only other real big Canadian star was Carlos Newton, and he was long, long gone, you know. And he he really paved the way for the Roy McDonalds, the TJ Grants, all these guys. And I think you, you're really starting to see a development of Canadian MMA. TJ Laramie just got a shot on Contender Series. Um, you have uh, Anthony Romero. Malcolm Gordon the- fighting coming up here. Malcolm, Malcolm Gordon, Gordon, the TKO flyweight champ. Uh, yeah. Who else did they say? Jesse Ronson's back. I mean, Ronson yeah. was already in the UFC, but still, that, that's great to see. Like, uh, yeah, I always keep tabs on the Canadian talent, obviously, because, like, you know, I think it's so important. And it's criminally undercovered for the most part. Like, MMA Empire, shout out to that guy. I, I forget his name off the top of my head. I can't remember. I've met him a couple times at events, uh, just at local events. But uh, he does an awesome job with, with covering Canadian MMA. And that's so needed in this country because there's so many good fighters that just don't get the opportunity. And, and like, uh, yeah, you mentioned TJ Laramie. There's a guy who should have been in the UFC ages ago, holds a win over Charles Jordan. I was at that fight in Montreal, TKO, whatever. Can't remember. It was champions. They had all the champion fights on there. Ronson fought on that card, too. Um, you had Mark andre Berrio on that card as well. That was one of the best regional shows I've ever been to. That was at the Bell Center, uh, 2017 or 2018. I can't remember. That was, uh, that was such a good card. So, yeah. Yeah. There's, went off on a tangent again. There's a, there's a lot of high-level Canadian uh, talent that hasn't really been uh, discovered. I spoke to Jasmine Judas. I don't even know how to Yes, I haven't talked to her yet. She's on my she's list. She's awesome, too. She's there in Jeffrey. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Uh, I spoke to her yesterday, and uh, I really think uh, by the sounds of it, she's going to get a call here soon for something big. Um, I would be watching some of her fights, and she is vicious. She's dangerous. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a she, lot of— She's flyweight, right? Correct my, correct my memory. She's flyweight, she's, right? Or so, is she bantamweight? So 
she fights at at uh, 125, but I think she's transitioning to straw weight. So I think she's so going to say the up. fight I want to see. They got to do at some point. I mean, if it's in the UFC, even better. But they got to do Jamie Lynn Horth and her together because Jamie Lynn Horth is, uh, lives up in Squamish, she trains with Cole Smith. Uh, I mean, that's th- those are two of the best women in this country. Like that's I'm so like I, I know it's going to happen. I know eventually they'll get to the UFC, but it's just like that's I love seeing fights like that. It's just kind of like like back in the day. A lot of people forget this. Uh, T.J. Laramie was supposed to fight Brad Katona years ago at Hard Knocks, and T.J. Laramie missed weight, so the fight never happened. But you always wonder what would have happened in that fight because, you know, obviously Katona fought someone else, and then he ended up, I think, winning another fight, going on the Ultimate Fighter. Now he's not in the UFC. Now Laramie's probably going to get in the UFC if he wins this uh, Contender Series fight against Daniel Swain. But, uh, yeah, it's so interesting to follow all that stuff. It's I, I love uh, keeping track of it. Yeah, I had uh, Christian Savoie on, too. He's 8-0. Oh, Unbelievable. Um, and he's only ever fought in New Brunswick. I'm like, man. <laughs> he had another big fight that was supposed to uh, take place that didn't end up happening. He was supposed to fight Julian LeBlanc. Remember that? Yeah. And yeah. that was going to be a fight that was going to get each guy up. So, yeah, there's just so many uh, good fighters in this country that just uh, you need to get more exposure. And, and, you know, I hope TKO is OK. They haven't done a show in a while. I'm hearing some rumblings that, you know, they might not be continuing, but they need as much as they can. Like, good. You mentioned, um, you know, the promotion out where you are. That That's a good one. Um, you know, Unified in Edmonton, they do a great job. A uh, little biased here with Rise Fighting Championships. We sent Tristan Connolly to the UFC. So that was really cool. Like, by the way, how cool is that? Like. So yeah. like I'm not I'm not a great commentator like I'm super lucky to even have that that um, you know position with Rise just happen to have some good connections there um, and I'm obviously trying to get better but I called Tristan's fight uh, in July last year when he fought Dewan Owens and that was just an unbelievable fight it was a fight that Tristan really had to work for because he was in trouble as that fight went on and uh, and he managed to get the finish late in the fight so he fights in July in September. I, like so, I was commentating that fight. Then in September, he's fighting Michelle Pereira. Gets the biggest win, like one of the biggest upsets of the year. And I'm cage side for that. So it's just so cool that like yeah. I got to commentate his fight in July, and then I'm literally sitting the same amount of distance from him in September to see him win that big fight. That was so cool. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, obviously, I was rooting for him. I love Michelle Pereira just because I mean the guy does backflips and yeah. stuff. <laughs> but obviously, going to root for the Canadian. But I had I counted him out. I was like, he's not winning this. He won't even escape the first. And then he. You know, he did that. And that story is very similar to uh, Justin Janes. So I interviewed Justin Janes on Monday. He got the call to the UFC on Wednesday, and he won on Saturday. Like, it's just crazy how, like— That's why the sport's so awesome. Like, anything can happen, you know? Like, that's—you loved—like, Kama Worthy a few weeks ago when he finished Pena. Like, no one expected that. He was a guy that, even when his debut when he fought Devontae Smith, no one was giving him a chance. Canadian connection there. I'll mention this. I don't know if you remember this fight. Kama Worthy fought Kyle Nelson in uh, for BTC. I was at that fight. Uh, in Toronto, downtown Toronto. It was BTC's, I think, first event. Kama was fighting at 145. Kyle Nelson knocked him out in like 30 seconds. And I remember after that fight thinking like, that might be it for Kama Worthy. That might be a career for him. Went up to lightweight, went on a win streak, got the call to fight. Devontae Smith, his former teammate, knocks him out and now knocks out Kama Worthy or knocks out uh, Luis Pena or yeah. submitted him or whatever. I can't remember the finish. But uh, either way, here's a guy now that's actually like a UFC mainstay. And, you know, just a couple of years ago, he was, you know, people were saying retire. So it's just, that's why I love this sport. It's so awesome. Yeah, you're really like it's not like hockey where if you don't get into it at a certain age, you don't have a chance. It's like, you know, within six months, uh, Jasmine Jasuda Vicious, there you go, I got it. Her first fight was in August, yeah, like last year. And like a year later, she's 4 0 and on the verge of the UFC. Like, it really is just, you know, uh, you're you're right there. Like, it's, it's, it doesn't take much to get noticed. One big fight and you could be in the UFC. It's crazy. Um, I had to ask you about this. I grew up a uh, huge sports fan. Every morning I'd wake up at 5 o'clock. I'd watch an hour of Sportsnet. 
an hour of TSN, and an hour of the score. Mm-hmm. How was working with the score, and 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 what's next for you? So um, yeah, it was, it was actually so I've um, uh, yeah it was it was great working for the score. So I should point out that the score that I worked for was like the app. So what happened? A lot of people get confused by this. So what happened was when Sportsnet bought the score, the television network, they just absorbed that. That became Sportsnet 360. They took their app and made that a separate company with the website and the app and they just sort of ran with it. So that was, that's who I worked for. And it was great, man. Like it was a dream job. It really was like, I, I, you know, I, for those who don't know, like I, you know, I've been covering MMA for a while. Like I mentioned the fight network thing, but after I left fight network, I worked at TSN and then I worked at discovery channel and I worked a couple other places as my day job, just doing editing. And I was still freelancing on the side. I was, that's when I started doing my fighter interviews. This was around like 2013, 2014. And then when I became a dad in 2017, um, I knew I couldn't do both. So I had to pick, pick and choose. I couldn't do the day job and do this on the side. So I like added up my finances. And I was like, if I could just get on with a couple more outlets, I could probably do this full time. So that's what I did up until May of last year. So I didn't know if I was ever going to get full time, like doing like, like, you know, just one outlet full time travel and all that included. I didn't know if that was going to happen and it did. And they pitched me on it and it, and it worked out great. And you know, it sucks. Like I'm not with them now. Um, but it, but it was a dream job. Like I said, I got to go cover almost every pay-per-view last year, like from May onwards, I got to go to, you know, Shevchenko and I, I got to go to, um, you know, international fight week. I got to be there for Masvidal, you know, knocking out Askren. I got to go to the, the BMF fight. You know, there's so many awesome things that I got to do. And I'm really happy with the work I did with, you know, building up the channel to being, you know, 24,000 subscribers after just a year, over 10 million views. Like that was, I was so happy with what I got to do. So it was, it was great from the vantage point of that. I was like, I'm glad I got to experience that. I'm sure. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't want to sound like conceited or anything, but like, I'm sure I'm going to get an opportunity like that again. I just, you know, I feel like I have something to offer this industry. So yeah, right now I'm just freelancing. I'm trying to do this full time. Like I was doing before, just working for a number of different outlets. The landscape's a little bit different now. So more of what I'm doing now is I'm working for like more outlets, smaller commitments. So I'm still trying to make up that full-time salary as best as I can. Like I might have to get something else on the side to just make it work, like whether it's an editing job or whatever. But uh, but yeah, for now I'm I'm just freelancing. I'm still, you know, I didn't want to lose any momentum. Like the second they, because what they did was they eliminated my position. So they shut down the YouTube channel. They said, we're not going to produce the video content. So Nick Baldwin's still there. He's still doing a great job doing his news and, and opinion articles and stuff. But they just did not want to do any more video. They didn't want to compete with the MMA fightings and junkies out there. So they just eliminated my position. I wasn't fired. They just said, we're not doing the position anymore. So, uh, so yeah, so what I'm doing now is I'm just freelancing. I basically, I have outlets that say, Hey, you do a certain amount of interviews for us a month at this rate, you know, brand it, whatever they're exclusive to us. And that's good enough for me. So that's how I'm making my living right now. It's tough, but you know what? I love it. It's all on me now. You know, like I, if a company doesn't, you know, if their bottom line doesn't work out or whatever, it's, I don't have to worry about that. It's all on me at the end. So I, I'm in control of everything, which is great. And I got, got all my freedom back. So that's, that's a bonus of it too. I've been a, I've been a huge fan of your work. I, I, I like uh, I love your interviews. I watched the one you did with Line Movement. I think that was today with Colby Covington. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks. What was, what's it like speaking with a guy like Colby? So it's so cool for me with Colby because like obviously everyone looks at Colby as as like you know the, this this character this figure that he's he's out like there. But like I can tell you like I was at his fight against Jonathan Munier, who's the Canadian guy that he fought in Ottawa. Yeah. Remember that card? Yeah. The UFC Ottawa card was Rory and Wonderboy. So Colby wasn't doing his shtick back then. He was just regular Colby. And I remember interviewing him then and being like, man, this is a good fighter. And then we just sort of always kept in touch. And I did interviews with him like, like after that. And so now it's to the point of where like, like here's something that a lot of people don't know about Colby is that like, he's just like, he's a really good guy. Like, like outside of all the shtick and say what you want about his politics or whatever. But like, I'll tell you, as far as like interviewing fighters, he's one of the easiest guys to get a hold of. And part of that too is because I've interviewed him for so long and just like, 
you know, like, like he's just like, I've interviewed him in Vegas. I remember there was one time, uh, when he crashed the Kamaru Usman Woodley fight, the open workouts, I got in touch with him while I was in Vegas and he was at the Palms and he met me at like 10 o'clock at night to do an interview. Like not every fighter does that. And like, yeah. I think that's a side I wish, you know, and it's, it's to his own fault too. Cause he's got this public persona, but he's a really like nice guy and he like, he's, he's easy to work with. And that's as a reporter, as a journalist, that's what you want. You want things to be fairly smooth if you can. And there's a lot of politics involved, but he's one of the easiest guys interviewing. Like I literally tell texted him yesterday and he got back to me right away like I, there's I, I i could show you some of the stories i think when i'm done my career I'll, i got some fun stories to tell about like i remember one person one fighter i emailed them back and forth 17 times until we finally got the interview to go like there's a lot of stuff like that that happens so yeah it's to answer your question it's it's awesome like it's so cool and we we sort of have a relationship anyway so it's like when we do the interview it's very comfortable for both of us to, to do it it's not like that with every fighter yeah it's it's cool to build friendships like i've the third interview I ever had with the, was with Mike Rodriguez. Fourth was was with Andre Ewell, and we stayed in touch and like we we text back and forth. We ask each other how we're doing. It's it's unlike any other sport where fighters are really really willing to go out there and, and, and interact with their yeah. fans. Yeah, it's 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 nice to see. And and I started this three months ago just because I was bored and I was expecting maybe maybe I'd speak to two or three UFC fighters. I didn't think my fourth and fifth interview were going to be, you know guys in the UFC, long stays in the in the UFC. I didn't think I'd be interviewing Houston Alexander, Pat Militich, like Dean Thomas. Like I never thought that would happen. And it's it's incredible. And uh yeah, it's 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 amazing how far it can really go just by shooting your shot and sending someone a message. And being consistent. I think a lot of people can learn from your channel uh, in the sense that I see you put out content all the time. That's a key thing. Like I know guys that'll I, I can tell you a handful of guys that have covered the sport that would do like a ton of content at once and then just take off for three months. And then like, it's like nothing ever happened. And it's like, you gotta, if you, if you love this enough, if you want to, it, it's a tough industry, but if you want to succeed, you can, I'm proof of this. There's no, there's no blueprint on how to do this. The, the, the one thing I can tell you is being consistent, creating good relationships. Like, you know, you don't, obviously you gotta, you don't, you don't want to be biased towards anyone, but just, you know, yeah. treat people with respect. Don't try and pull any punches. Like don't try and be deceitful when you're interviewing them or, you know, write a clickbait title or something like that. Like just try and be like good about it and just being consistent. And like I said, like people can learn a lot from what you're doing because you're doing a good variety. Like I know guys that won't interview any prospects. So I was like, what? You're in no position to do that. Like Mike yeah. Rodriguez, here's a good story. I interviewed him back in 2015. I think it was 2015. He was fighting for CES. He was fighting at middleweight. And he fought this guy, Pat McCronin. And I remember we did our interview and it was just like, it was a hilarious interview. Like Mike's a character, right? And, uh, and, um, yeah. And like, so we always just sort of kept in touch. And like a lot of these guys that I interviewed on the regional scene are in the UFC now. Like, it's so cool to see like mm -hmm. just their progression. And like, even in my career, seeing that I'm doing this full time, like there was a point when this was just a side job for me and now it's like my full time job. So that's, that's another fun part of this is watching these fighters grow in their careers. And then you kind of go on that journey with them. It's, it's, it's really cool. I love it. It's probably the best part of the job. Yeah, I mean, I, I do it simply because I love it. And, like, one of the things I said from the start was I don't care if I don't make it. Like, I'm an accountant 9 to 5. Uh, most people don't even, like, why is an accountant even involved in MMA? Mm -hmm. uh, but I love the sport. So I was just like, I'm just going to do this for fun. And I never cared about the views. I never cared about whether or not it ended up being something big. I Now that it's, like, people are actually watching it, it's nice to see. It's rewarding. But... Uh, and like you said, I don't write clickbaits. I say quarantine cast episode 37, the fighter's name. And that's it. And if you want to watch it, watch it. If you don't, don't. I just, I, I don't like the Colby Covington calls out so-and-so if that's not the whole story. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of why I did it um, that way. Yep. All right, man. I, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm looking forward to 
to, to more of your stuff and and i've watched you for a long time so i really appreciate you taking the time to come on i didn't think you would i was like i'm just gonna i'm gonna send a message what are the odds and uh you re- responded right away so i i appreciate it well first off let me tell you i love coming on here anytime we can combine some hockey talk in there that's great i always love supporting fellow canadians so anytime you want me on man just shoot me a message i'm more than happy to come on and discuss and then like i'll tell your listeners like if they haven't seen me before like i'm very accessible like i purposely say this on my live streams that i do every week when i'm previewing cards or i'm doing q a's that like if you got a question i'm on my phone all the time i'm trying to keep up with news even if it's just like hey who do you think's gonna win this fight i'll gladly respond because i think i think if you don't appreciate your audience further ahead in this industry and uh i there's a lot of times when i'll take time out of my day to go talk to people because i think it's so important and like i wouldn't be able to do this without my audience so i i you know i have to thank them the people that have supported me the people that have been just so awesome since this whole score thing happened like yeah it sucks i wish i wouldn't have to worry about money right now but unfortunately i do because i got to make sure you know i got food on the table i got a uh soon to be three year old in uh in in september and uh you know i i have a house here in vancouver it's not cheap as you know uh you know real estate in vancouver is a little pricey well i'm outside of vancouver i live actually in a place called Tawasson. it's where uh, Brent Seabrook plays for the Blackhawks. He's from here. Oh, okay. It's like a small, small area, but uh, not too small, but just outside of Vancouver, maybe like 30, 40 minutes is where I live. But, um, but yeah, no, just uh, thanks for having me on, man. Like I love doing stuff like this where I can just, uh, you know, talk some fights, talk a little bit about my career or whatever. And hopefully, uh, you know, maybe some people watching your show will, will, you know, want to do the same thing as us and interview fighters. So I think it's good for everyone. Yeah. And I mean, for anyone who is watching and who anyone who's nervous to do it, it's, you know, fighters are, are really easy to talk to. Um, you know, they're not, as bad as it sounds, they're not like hockey players or football players where they've been on a pedestal their entire lives. Yeah. They're they're really down to earth. They're nice. Uh, most of them are ordinary. Most are ordinary people. And uh, they're, they're really easy to talk to. All right, man. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Looking forward to some more of your interviews. I'm going to go uh, rewatch that Colby one because... Uh, because I love watching Colby talk. So uh, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate you. Your listeners can uh, t- uh, check me out at Lynch on Sports. I work for a ton of different outlets, so it's tough to plug every single one. It would yeah. be like one of those like Oscar speeches that just they have to play the music to get the person off. But uh, yeah, at Lynch on Sports, Twitter, Instagram, my personal channel, youtube.com slash Lynch on Sports. All the interviews I do for different outlets, I put them in playlists on my channel so that way you won't miss them and you'll still be able to see them on there. So uh, yeah, thanks again, man. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, no. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All the best. Yep. You too. And uh, stay safe. Don't uh, don't catch anything. No, nope. got my mask on. I'll be like uh, Mortal Kombat. <laughs>